You may have noticed that the, the theme of the scripture, as well as the theme really for the music that has brought us to this point, is very pensive. It's quiet. It is reflective, and that's for a reason, because the scripture from the 20th chapter of John sets that tone for us. There is something going on in that room we must take very seriously. It was exactly 50 years ago, I was an eight-year-old boy in Washington, D.C. My father was pastor of Covenant Baptist Church on Nichols Avenue. Our parsonage was across the street. And across the street from both the church and the parsonage was a little Chinese restaurant. The family that owned the restaurant lived in the second floor of that building. On April 4th, 1968, after years of, in that area, what felt like racial reconciliation taking place, black people and white people beginning to learn to live together, the neighborhood where we were integrating, Dr. King was killed in Memphis, Tennessee. Washington, D.C. exploded in riots, anger, frustration, hurt, despair. The community where we were living was not spared from all that was unfolding. And that little Chinese restaurant caught fire. A group of folks were standing around, and I remember as an eight-year-old kid, standing in this crowd, watching as the flames began to move through this Chinese restaurant. And from the crowd, an African-American man broke through, ran around the flames, went up to the door and began banging on the door, saying, you got to get out, you got to get out. And I remember thinking, as an eight-year-old kid, with all that was exploding around us and the despair that was palpable, thinking in that moment, if in the midst of all this anger and hurt and the assassination of Dr. King, a black man can risk his life out of concern for an Asian family and their safety, maybe it's going to be okay. Maybe all is not lost. The very first passage of Scripture in the Bible. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And then the spirit, the breath, the wind of God blew across the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Listen carefully to the way that scripture is structured. Creation was not created out of nothing. Creation was created out of chaos. There was something, 
but it was disordered. Creation emerges out of confusion when God breathes over the face of the waters. It is God's ruach, that beautiful Hebrew word, deep and rich, that means three things simultaneously. It means God's breath, God's wind, God's spirit. Moving across the chaos so that order and creation can unfold. If you listened carefully to the gospel reading from the 20th chapter, we mentioned last week, John is is subtle and profound in the way the gospel writer uses the Old Testament, specifically Genesis, in some, some very important ways. The 20th chapter is a good example of the subtlety and the power. The disciples are gathered in a place behind a locked door because they are afraid. They have failed. They are gathered together in the common human element of despair and confusion and chaos, and they know deep in their souls that they let Jesus down. There's rumblings of resurrection. They have some sense that maybe all is not lost, but it has not yet gotten integrated into their spirits. They are afraid, they are confused, and their lives are messy. And when we speak of the disciples, this is true in all four Gospels, it is valuable to remember Whenever the gospel writers talk about the disciples, we are them and they are us. It's not just this bumbling, stumbling group of people who just couldn't quite get it right. It is you and me and us and them in this room together wondering what do we do now? How do we bring the the strangeness and messiness of our lives, some of it self-imposed and some of it imposed upon us, and all that we've experienced this week and before, and the scars and the hurt, and in this case, the guilt and the shame. You listen carefully as the story unfolds. It's clear Jesus is very aware of where the disciples live. We'll get to that in just a moment. What the gospel writer is clear about here is Jesus speaks and then breathes. Peace be with you. And then... He breathes on them. John's echoing of Genesis 1, 
receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus says. It's not that the Spirit just all of a sudden shows up in that moment. It is that same Spirit that brought creation out of confusion and order out of chaos. God's breath, the Spirit, the Ruach of God in the second, in the 20th chapter of John, it is the same word used in Greek, not Hebrew. Hebrew is Ruach. In John, it is Pneuma. It is the breath, the wind, the Spirit of God that, that changes, makes ready for sacred transformation. It is in this room, this palpable sense that something can happen, but something else must happen first. Jesus says, if you retain the sins of any, they're going to stick around. That is, the sins won't go away. But if you forgive the sins of any, they will be given away. Amen. All will be made new. In other words, Jesus is meeting them where they are. Where are they? Well, what have they done? They have failed. They have denied. They have run away. They have not been what they said they were going to be or even hoped that they would be. And Jesus recognizes in them guilt and shame and messiness and says, if you're going to do what I hope for you, that is, you've got lots of exciting stuff. There's a mission ahead that we can do together. But first, you've got to forgive yourself and move on. Don't wallow in your messiness. You can do this. The Spirit of God is blowing across the confusion of your life. You can do this, but you got to do it yourself. So here's the interesting piece that goes into this. The Spirit is available. It's there. It's ready. Preparing that, that group of guys that just couldn't quite get it right. But the clear imperative is you got to take seriously what you now need to do. And this is where basketball comes in. Now, some of you were, were really into March Madness and probably like me, you got your, uh, your all the, the, what do you call it? The, um, <laughs> the brackets. I can't even remember. The brackets all messed up right away. Well, Villanova, they win this thing. And by the way, I'm no big Villanova fan because they beat my Tar Heels a couple of years ago in the final seconds. But Villanova wins the national championship primarily how? By the fact that they have seven of their top eight uh, rotating players shooting over 35% in three-point shots. That's unbelievable. Think about this for just a second. And this has to do with the Bible, believe it or not. We'll get back to it. Three-point shot. Think about this. You have to, from 21 feet away, arc a basketball at a 33-degree angle 
falling around 20 miles an hour aimed at an 18-inch cylinder when the ball itself is nine and a half inches wide. Most of us would say it's not really possible, especially 35% of the time. It's just not going to happen. However, there's this remarkable thing called the human brain, which if you allow your eyes to coordinate with your body and you look at the front or the back, coaches differ on this, the front of the rim or the back of the rim, and let your brain do its work. Now, it does take a little practice. You have to really make sure you use the same physical motion every time you shoot, regardless of your position in the air. But if you can allow your eyes to coordinate with your body, it is incredible the physics that your brain can figure out and allow a three-point shot of a nine-and-a-half-inch ball to go through an 18-inch cylinder through 21 feet away at a 33-degree angle going at 20 miles an hour. That's unbelievable. But your brain can do it. Most of your brains can do it. (laughs) The fact that any of our brains can do it is truly remarkable. And it just gives one tiny little insight into the miracle that is us. Now, in the, the world of Jesus and the disciples, they had known this a long, long time before. They were very much aware there was a distinction between the physical brain and even the bigger sense of self that is called the mind. We see this in the development of language. We already talked about the fact that pneuma in Greek means the spirits, the wind, the breath of God. But there's another word some of you are familiar with, psyche, psychology. It means mind. It also means soul. It recognizes a difference in that early development of language and understanding, the difference between brain in Greek, nous, and mind in Greek, Psyche. The idea was there's something bigger going on than just a cognitive process. There is the ability, in the case of you and me and the disciples, to take all the messiness of our lives, and if you can be potentially shooting a three-point shot successfully, surely you can forgive what's been going on in your life and forgive those around you that have failed you and you can move forward in your journey of faith and allow God to let you be something special. It's an amazing thing when Jesus says to the disciples, I need you to be messengers of the good news, but first... I need you to forgive yourselves. First, I need you to look around you and forgive the people that messed up with you and to recognize we are all in this room together. We are in equal need of forgiveness. We are in equal need of moving past what we've been and recognize what God hopes for us to be because the Spirit of God is moving across the face of the waters. And God says, 
Let there be light. And there is light. And confusion becomes creation. And God says, it's good. And maybe it's going to be okay. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. The early church recognized very quickly in their journey of faith the importance of not just using words to speak the truth and help all of us move beyond where we are, but also to give us powerful symbols that the church began to call sacraments. That is something sacred that you stand on holy ground, not only in the sanctuary, but when you share what we call the Lord's Supper. And we are invited periodically to participate in this remarkable experience at the Lord's table. And it's important to say, this is not my table or your table or First Baptist table. It is the Lord's table. And if you feel in your heart the stirrings of God's movement in your heart for reconciliation and forgiveness, you are invited to the Lord's table to partake. What Jesus said to the disciples, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Remember me. But the early church recognized something more than just that. They recognized that by taking into our bodies this symbolic aspect of Jesus' body and taking into our bodies Jesus' blood, it makes us brothers and sisters with Jesus. We are intimately related with Jesus and simultaneously having taken these elements of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we not only then become related to Jesus. In Tennessee, we used to call this blood kin because we were in the same family. If you're taking the blood of Jesus into you and I'm taking the blood of Jesus into me, guess what happens? We become blood kin, whether you like it or not. We're related. We become brothers and sisters, not only here, but beyond here. And so therefore, we together are invited to the table of the Lord. Let us share in the Lord's Supper together.